0: about freedom of speech we are talking about
1: something substantive and we're not simply talking about a, uh, a formal notion of freedom of speech and those who would call uh, for the right to speak freely in order to openly uh, uh, in order to openly prevent others from having
0: rights and liberties that are guaranteed then by the Constitution. I mean, I think that is a contradiction in terms. I mean,
1: if you're going to allow somebody to be free to advocate genocide, if you're going to allow somebody to be free to organize genocide, to organize murder and racism, then that doesn't make any sense at all. I think it's very clear. Good evening, um, welcome to Under Another Name. Um, it's Joe on duty this evening. James is hiding um, behind the cameras on production duties. Um, and today we're going to be talking about protest, free speech, and why anti-racism is an active process and not a badge of honor. Um, we started with a short quote there from Angela Davis. Uh, Angela Davis asks us there to think a little bit more carefully about what we mean when we talk about free speech. Um, we should be cautious about these kind of narratives of free speech that we're presented with, which often are about empowering people who are already dominant within, you know, the social kind of hierarchy. Um, and, and often, therefore, free speech can be used to kind of exclude people whose voices are already kind of trodden down. They're on the wrong side of the patriarchy, on the wrong side of structural racism. These things that are embedded in the DNA of Western countries. So those are kind of some of the things we're going to talk about this evening. And um, we're incredibly fortunate to be joined by Gemma Waldron, um, also known as Project Coup, um who I think is making her her screen debut this evening, um, which I wasn't kind of like, I sort of feel a bit mean because I, I put this in a WhatsApp message to Gem and she only saw it about an hour ago and she was like, what? Um, well, this so is welcome, on Jen. this
0: is on me. Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me. That is t- completely on me because when someone sends me. Uh, a WhatsApp message that I have so many on the go at once. I just skim read absolutely everything I ever get sent. So I'm so used to being on the airwaves and not uh, ha- sort of having a camera in front of me that I was just like, oh, it must just be a recorded chat or something and he's gonna put it in a podcast. And and then I and then I read back and I was like, oh, I've just found out that this is gonna be a live stream and I've never done one of those before. And I was like, I guess I should like wash my hair. And then, and then I accidentally sent a, a text to you which was meant for my girlfriends where I was like, oh hmm. my God,
1: shit yeah (laughs) i I felt like you were then i I got worried because i saw it for like a second i was like oh no now she's blaming me like she's (laughs) cross." it wasn't really you just meant it It was just a joke for your friend so you know we've had we've had a bit of drama to kick it off but that's fine um and you know the good thing is gem obviously you're you know you're experienced broadcaster you've been um doing your show on um incapable staircase on monday evenings um for nearly a year is that right
0: yeah about a year, yeah, soon. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be a year. yeah,
1: brilliant. And James and I are still very much novices in comparison. Um, so we're really, as I say, really grateful to have you on the show. um and um we could I think just to kick us off then, just tell us a little bit more about um the show that you um that you present and just kind of your your politics, where do you come at some of the issues that we're going to be discussing this evening?
0: Okay, uh, so my show Project Coup just kind of started as a little lockdown project. Uh, My friend decided to start an internet radio station. Um, He was kind of fidgety and he was furloughed and whatever and, uh, and it was just like him playing some songs and he decided to kind of he figured out how to broadcast it and then it grew into this big station and now we've got like 60 djs and it it plays constantly like 24 hours a day there's some playbacks and stuff going on um and after he'd been doing it for like about a month he was like we really need some women djs and i was like oh okay so i and then he was like oh maybe you need like a concept for your show and i immediately thought i, I don't really know how i came up with the name but i am going to tell you my whole life story you're going to regret asking me this joe <laughs> this is what happens but um yeah i just thought i want to talk about politics that's all i ever talk about a lot of my friends don't really like talking about politics so why don't i just exploit this opportunity to talk freely about politics in you know, my t- politics are not particularly far left I think probably uh the you know the like the British narrative of what is far left is really not very much in the in the if you look at it in an international kind of scope um but yeah I'm a socialist and um probably leaning towards becoming a communist like my uh my earrings here oh, um wow. but, yeah, uh, yeah like <laughs> well yeah that. i made the effort It's a great I flex it. Is, yeah. it, is it too
1: is it is it both marks or is it marks and angles what have you what have you got going on there i, I could oh i don't
0: know it. i've got frida carlo but um, oh, it's was
1: carlo oh amazing sorry I, did, I didn't get it close i i just kind of guessed it's bad you see, obviously confusing you see
0: marks marks, marks is oh over there, there he is you
1: see,
0: he's, <laughs> hiding behind his he's never far away
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah no i like him
0: but apart from my show, I'm just, um, I'm a copywriter. I just write kind of puff pieces, basically. Um, you know, I, and that's what I quite like writing my blog because it is a bit more nitty gritty. It's just like, you know, I've just started recently doing, uh, and I've got three children, teenagers, and um, yeah, that, that's cool. basically the so, most And you can check out your
1: blog is, is projectwho, is it .com?
0: .com, yeah.
1: Awesome, yeah, yeah. Do, do check it out. A lot of what we speak about this evening Jem's kind of gone into in more depth in her blog, so so do take a look. Um, And also we share a a Wiltshire connection, Jem. Now, I I grew up in Marlborough, which is a small town in North Wilts, and my memory of Marlborough is it wasn't wildly uh, populated with socialists, um, and I and th- I think you're from not too far away. And I, so I guess it's a similar kind of experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do come out of the woodwork every now and then. And it's kind of uh-huh. like, it is, it is like a coming out when you're a socialist yes. around here. Because it's, I mean, it's very frowned upon. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like, oh, we are so radical. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, I started like a little community group recently called uh, Mumsbury for Democracy, basically because I was like, we don't need to go into the big cities to make our voices heard and like show solidarity we can like make our own little movement going on here and it's actually like accrued about 70 odd members so i'm really really wow. pleased yeah yeah so real grassroots things.
1: democracy right there
0: Brother, yeah <laughs> Really Love proud it. Of it.
1: <laughs> it makes me certainly as a wheelchair um man it makes me feel very proud i must say um let's let's get into um talking about the first topic for the evening, which is the kill the Brill protests that will be going, will be going on in, in Malmesbury, of course, this Saturday, but also yeah. <laughs> in, in Bristol, in London, Brighton, where me and James are, up in Manchester and actually big cities all across the country. Um, now, when I was reading your blog um, earlier in the week, the quote that leapt out on me from your first post is that amazing quote from Rosa Luxemburg. Um, the most revolutionary thing one can do is always proclaim loudly what is happening. I thought I'd just start by asking you what's happening. You know, what what is it that's going on with this bill that is so important that people come out, you know, if they're thinking about coming out on Saturday and actually take a stand. Mm.
0: Well, I think I mean I'm. I'm not an expert on absolutely anything, so everything that I say tonight is just going to be my (laughs) random opinion. And what you're uh, on for, Gem? Okay. Um, Just like get that like imposter syndrome thing going on, you know. Um, But basically, I I think what's kind of well, there is something unique in this bill in that actually it affects like a a, 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 well, not a huge cross section of society, but I think a huge cross section of society is actually bothered about it. So it obviously is going to discriminate against marginalized people in our society more so but i think a lot more people are kind of coming out and recognizing it as something to be really concerned about and seeing it as a wider pattern of i don't know it always feels dramatic to talk about like totalitarianism and stuff but i think people are noticing a nasty kind of sinister sort of pattern going on with with pushing through the spy cops bill overseas operations bill and stuff like that as well and on top of that you know uh, at the same time um you know like supported by the media the government's kind of uh, peddling a lot of like you know anti immigrant propaganda anti traveler propaganda uh you know we know that pretty patel uh decried the BLM protests last year uh, as i think what did she say i can't remember what she said about them she said they were dreadful you know so yeah. um, i think this bill is kind of it it, it's a
1: bit of a it feels like a wake-up call
0: and i hope it is yeah i mean it's an amazing like kind of national reaction that is happening i think
1: yeah and it has been right and i and i haven't been in the demonstrations that have happened in brighton it you know it has felt like it's it's been a you know a largely young crowd but not exclusively and um it's felt like the galvanizing effect of it has been like so everyone gets it everyone gets why this matters and that's You know interesting because I, i guess it would be easy to sort of say well you know this is just you know the issue of free speech is is in some sense an abstract one you know it's not directly related to you know your your living conditions or or whatever but there's but there's just something quite visceral actually that people feel i think particularly this idea that um a protest that's noisy a protest that's a nuisance is actually something that's criminalized under this bill um and so I don't know what your experience has been, but mine has been that that's, that's generated a sense of like, of real outrage and actually kind of fear to some extent about about where this is is heading.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the subjectivity element of the bill and the wording. I think that one of the words in the bill is uh, something that, that creates unease. And I think that's an extremely uh, dangerous thing, having that much sort of subjectivity, especially when the people who are, know who are empowered to to um decide uh what is you know what what causes unease are the police and we know that they are notoriously heavy-handed they they just are um and priti patel the home secretary who you know is not known for her human rights um credentials let's say i mean it's been recognized in court hasn't it that she's she's contravened you know human rights the the things that she is trying to the direction that she's trying to go in is in direct you know contravention to human rights um i mean i was protesting with a woman who is in her 60s if not 70s maybe her sort of late 60s and she said she did like reclaim the night um marches and stuff back in the 80s and she said she's angry that she's got to do this again like so everyone's coming at, at this for different motivations and stuff like we don't want the police to have um you know disproportionate amount of power they already do uh, although i would say like you know we were just talking about living in kind of you know quite right-wing areas and i live in like pretty affluent like small town where uh like i said you like, you have to come out as a socialist and, and a lot of people here are really enthusiastic about the bill <laughs> they're actually like uh, you know putting something on the facebook town group chat uh, saying you know this is really really something to be concerned about people are like well i'm glad i want the police to protect you know law and order my you know property and i don't want there to be pesky protests and stuff and i think there's just an awful lot of privilege shining through (laughs) in that way but 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 it has been kind of nice to see people come out of the woodwork and, and surprising like people that wouldn't expect to to show mm. solidarity. Well, sorry, I talked so much. Yeah, there's
1: so something just nice no, no. no it's a, it's, <laughs> I as I just say I, I, I can't, I can't hear enough about about Northwilt's um, activism against, <laughs> um, against this bill or anything. But I think what you know, the other side of that story is is important, isn't it? That actually, there's 40 percent of the population, and maybe a bit more, that this is really targeted at. And in the sense, it's not even, I don't think, what the bill is going to do specifically or whether indeed the bill is even that helpful or useful for the police, as much as it is just there to galvanize that section of the electorate that this government has basically decided, if it riles them up enough, if it convinces them that there are these enemies that it's cracking down on, then essentially it doesn't matter. Johnson can spend whatever he likes decorating his house or, you know, it it's all just going to blow through, basically, because they, 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 they're sort of they've got a very clear side if we've got this culture war in progress, they've aligned themselves very clearly. There's nobody really politically who's who's taking them on the other side of that. So the terrain is kind of theirs in some sense Mm and that I find quite worrying
0: yeah i mean um like the the basic notion of freedoms of speech is like the principle that people can say what they like without reprisal and like this idea which included the right to assemble um along with like freedom of religion and freedom of the press began in the states obviously like towards the end of the 18th century over here we've got like a long and complex history of censorship um but like as recently as about 30 years ago we had like a, a specific right to uh, right to freedom of expression sort of passed. Um, though that was like subject to formal conditions as well. But basically like most things which emancipate the, the voiceless, they get kind of co-opted into these right-wing movements. And, yeah. uh, and in recent years, like they've been exploited to provoke situations that are designed to roll back the games that we've made. Um, like, that we've arguably made as a tolerant society though obviously there'll be a lot of people that that society is hostile towards still and, and i completely accept that um but i i think it's like it's it's really difficult obviously because free speech has become like weaponized in the culture war and you know like people like lauren stocks that are like using it to spread hate and intolerance uh, and then kind of make a situation where you can use language like snowflake snowflakeery and uh, and yeah. cancel culture and stuff Word, like that etc so, yeah exactly yeah. um so i mean it's something that's like become necessarily complex and I, and i think like because of the dangers that it can throw up so uh like there's the, that famous line i may disapprove of what you say but i will def- defend to the death your right to say it which i think is like often wrongly attributed to voltaire but it wasn't it was um it was his biographer, Evelyn Evelyn Hall or something. Yeah, I think it yeah, will- <laughs> we'll, we'll roll
1: with it. Are, are You're right; <laughs> yeah. it's definitely not Voltaire, but Voltaire's yeah. supposed to have said it. It's the kind of thing he sort of would have said. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, I read
0: something recently that, uh, and I might be sort of going slightly off piece here, but like, I read something recently that uh, can be. Um, it it kind of identifies the problem of like collapsing the distinction between free speech and academic freedom which is something that you're probably interested in as a teacher uh which like allows a situation where the right can like deny um you know uh educational professionals, professors of the authority of knowledge so that's kind of interesting and obviously i can see how this could be seem to be like defensive about knowledge and the rights to knowledge because like Also, uh, this is increasingly complex now because, like, as universities become uh, like increasingly neoliberal models, this could be used by institutions to diminish like lived experiences as knowledge in both literature and in the students that's passing through its doors. You know, so there's layers and layers. of, I've come away from the uh, bill now, but yeah, there's
1: no, no. I think it's really important though in that context of like the weaponization of the issue on the right. I think it is crucial for this because it's fascinating isn't it that you have this whole section of of the media you know right-wing politicians who are essentially posing as defenders of free speech while at the same time they'll be supporting this bill which is which is very definitely curtailing people's right to protest the law will be also be saying things like it's outrageous that the national trust conducts research into the history of its own houses if though if that history relates to things that they don't want to talk about in British history, like slavery, uh, colonialism, etc., etc.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they'll be they'll be angry about sportsmen choosing to take the knee before a sporting event, perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. just their, their their moral choice as kind of free citizens. So mm-hmm. the right is deeply confused on this issue, and yet it's it's been really, really effective, nevertheless, at co-opting it, and exactly as Angela Davies suggest Angela Davis suggests at the start of our show today that that point that speech can be used in this very very violent way it can be used to close down other people's Mm. ability to speak freely and i think that that's something that i find really worrying about this bill
0: yeah i mean um yeah i mean it has it's 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 been embraced by this movement which like we saw it in the states with like you know donald trump like anti-intellectualism and uh kind of um you know, like he talked about left-wing indoctrination in schools and then he he set about wanting to create like a national commission to push uh, what he called like a more pro-American history, uh, putting a stop to educating kids about slavery and racism basically. I mean, uh, so he pursued this anti uh, intellectualism narrative and, and that was like a vote winner the first time round, right? <laughs> Not the second time, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah. I think Boris Johnson sort of relied on the same sort of strategy in a way, uh, which has obviously been interesting while we like navigate a health crisis where science is first and foremost. Um, My history is appalling, but I think like anti-intellectualism in America came with like McCarthyism. So that's really interesting, like when you were talking about shutting down because, you know, uh, curious minds, uh, no, no sort of oppressive state wants that in its people, does it? Um, Yeah.
1: And I think it's interesting (laughs) where those questions can lead you. So like, you know, you, you talked about the way in which you, in in the history of, of recent in, re, in the UK, yes, there have been efforts to um, open up, you know, greater freedoms to people. But you still have communities that are right on the margins, you know, so I'm thinking here about particularly the GRT community kind of, mm. you know, they're right in the line of fire with this bill. Um, you know, it's, this is essentially a bill that, that threatens to totally extinguish their way of life um and yet you know if you're not asking questions you could almost miss it in the in the oh. public debate even from people who are quite sympathetic to the cause it mm. still kind of sits <laughs> on the margins of the of the discussion and that to me is kind of just symptomatic of of our whole debate around these issues
0: mm, yeah i like I have to say, like, I think our elected, our elected representatives could be doing and saying a lot more like yeah. the you know, we know that like the government has complete monopoly over the press and, you know, institutions and stuff. And, and I, I am kind of kind of, a bit baffled by the amount of people that don't even know what's going on with this bill haven't heard of it don't care like but but I think everyone's just so busy just like surviving paying their rent getting to the end of the week feeling knackered um but yeah like I would like our you know so-called left-wing mps to be a lot more vocal about it I know a lot of them are doing some really good work surrounding it and stuff um but like you say like I do wonder whether and like you say you know GRT communities are going to be you know it's, it's an existential threat to them and and um and, and also i mean clive lewis when i spoke to him earlier in the week was saying that you know he thinks it'll 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 go through and he he thinks that the government will ask or you know direct police to be like like give it a light touch like don't go in heavy-handed but then that'll give them kind of free reign uh the government that is to like be selective about who they target and then make examples of and stuff like that. So it's really, it's bloody terrifying, like to be honest.
1: Yeah. And that whole idea of state power, which is basically like, OK, um, you know, we, we might not do this every time, but we can. And you know that we can and you don't know when we might. You know, that I, I think that whole aspect of it is, is is not really considered because for so many people, they have that privilege that you referred to earlier, which is the privilege to say, they're, they're not coming for me. I'm okay mm. you know so I, I as far as I'm concerned these guys you know they they're basically protecting my rights my 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 property you mm. know my kind of like my my peace of mind within my neighborhood or whatever it is you know this kind of like the scaremongering that exists around these you know the threats to um you know sort of good property owning citizens you know so you so you get all those kind of constructs that that really start to appear and I guess the the natural follow up question I have is kind of like why can we not look to as so many people will on this we're not we're not looking to the right with their kind of like phony free speech narrative but but then the, then the next place a lot of people will look will be okay what about liberal people you know people on the liberal left um, you know liberals are supposed to be this is supposed to be their thing right defending these mm-hmm. kind of freedoms supposed to be absolutely fundamental to liberalism um, and yet we have you know I was just thinking as you were talking I think the shadow, um, is it the Shadow Equalities Minister? I think Charlotte Nichols, who who was um, you know uh, mm. highlighted for basically you know having anti-GRT literature in her election materials. Yeah. yeah. Why why is it that this uh, you, you talked about it in your interview earlier this week with Judy Gattis? This this mm. this liberal hope that we kind of always looking to. Why why is that not really the answer?
0: Yeah, I think like Judy uh, had it like down straight, really the way that she talked about it. Like she's a revolutionary communist. So to her, like she extends this idea of liberalism to like even as far left as Corbyn's leadership, which most of us who in the left know that it wasn't that far left. It was democratic socialism basically. And again, like, you know, from a international perspective, it's really, really not very far left at all. And that revolutionary even. Um, but, and, and obviously like the Overton window in this country is shifting to the right all the time, which is another pattern of like what these bills are like bringing about. Um, but like the left of now, like, I, I don't know. I, I think it kind of sells an idea that we can have incremental change and that's enough. And that's that's all we can do. Like, I think it's like, We have to work within the systems that we have and do what we can and it just seems so unambitious and kind of depressing to be honest like especially because like you know in our 2019 labor manifesto we had all the solutions to well not all the solutions but we had some big you know visions of how and fully costed you know uh um policies of how we could deal with some of these big big problems like. Covid or no Covid, like a lot of big structural inequalities and problems would have, like you know, persisted anyway. So when we're looking at like you know an economical uh, a a a climate emergency and an economical emergency crisis, um, you know, solutions of liberals is kind of like oh we can have a little bit of capitalism. We can have a a little bit of incremental change a bit of reform here like it's just not enough like do you value your grandchildren (laughs) like you know this is just it's just it's just really um uninspiring personally yeah it's
1: that (laughs) it's that kind of trimming you know just like just pruning away and you're just thinking well there's a there's like a storm over there like are we gonna do anything about that or are we just gonna Mm. kind of keep on keep on trimming away yeah
0: it's kind of a gaslighting effect as well because it's yeah. kind of like you know how everyone always talks about how orwellian this government is well i think liberals are quite orwellian <laughs> like you know every bit as such as the government like the um i mean the government blatantly tell us like oh we're well off out of the eu oh we're taking back control you know selling ideas that we've never had it so good and stuff like that which you all know is bullshit but like liberals sell this like really apathetic and like lazy uh vision that like doesn't offer real solutions for planet all the people on it so it's just uh but also they, yeah and they it's like this is it. the best
1: you can get this yeah. this is you know and it's almost like it's and, they, and you're kind of bullied like if you're the sort of person who's like well hang on really like mm. could we not push a little bit more this is real like quite horrible kind of tone of like mockery like yeah you absolute idiot like why would you even think yeah, and that there was and, some, yeah yeah
0: yeah and exactly and i kind of like my theory on this is that not person definitely not just mine but what i think about this is that liberals have a I don't know like the middle classes are kind of comfortable enough to be i'm all right jack about things right so we all make trade-offs we all exist on this hierarchy in a patriarchy which we live in which the whole bloody world lives in like we exist on this hierarchical structure where we make trade-offs and we feminize one another you know it's not it's, it's a gender thing but that doesn't uh relate to like binaries or anything but um uh you know we we by by uh you know hurling insults exclusions like perceived failures and stuff like that so as long as there's someone beneath us we're i don't know reaping the scraps of patriarchy sort of thing so i talked to uh judy i'm not explaining this very well at all but no i, I think i'm you getting you well. completely so in the in the same way that like white women you know we are all capable of um s- s- you know putting our heel print on another woman's face uh you know migrants black women disabled women i talk about it as a woman because it's like sort of relates to how i think about things um in order to, to stay kind of you know to the status quo i think it's like everyone's kind of always thinking how much could i rock the boat and will it i mean to be honest, like the middle classes would benefit from revolutionary solutions as much as anyone else, but I think they just think we yeah. short term or something. I don't know, or or they're just Tories and they by any other
1: name. <laughs> but there's also, I think you talked about the Overton window, and that is crucial, isn't it? That if you know, it's important to stress that that our entire discourse, you know, is 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 framed around this idea that this actually very narrow range of choices that's available politically. It's actually incredibly wide, you know. So like you're kind of brought up believing that are oh, way over there and Christ, you know, you know and maybe you could vote the Lib Dems in the middle or, and it's this, you're brought up to think, right, this is like, you know, am I gonna go left or am I gonna go right? And then the reality, you know, once you sort of stand back from it, as you say, you take that more global perspective, is it's this teeny tiny yeah. kind of the, the, these divisions that exist. And then again, that really quite ruthless policing, you know, of anyone who dares to kind of suggest that, that, that there might just be a, a another way of looking at things where it might be possible to be a little more ambitious. I also feel like for some of the people on the sort of liberal left, there's that kind of, they kind of like to conceptualize themselves as quite left wing. And it's kind of annoying to have people yeah. who are sort of saying, well, actually, you know, I don't think you really are. I don't think your ideas really are, are offering yeah. that much change
0: yeah and i think if i'm being generous then i'd say that that's kind of an, an image thing like a uh, i don't know like a you know how like middle-aged men like pick up a guitar every now and then and tell their kids oh i was in a band once like yeah. i think that's kind of like the the liberal i'm a leftist kind of thing but that's just if i'm being generous if i'm being more like i don't know like suspicious about it then i would say that this is a you know it's a it's a, a technique it's a strategy to keep things keep things right if you call something left that's not left for long enough that's that's you know quite right wing then people will be like yeah. oh that must be oh that's really you know so oh, I forgot what I was going to say but basically um yeah I've forgotten what I was going to say no
1: what you said <laughs> I, I I totally I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep you know keep rolling gem like it I I, I like it's just pouring out this uh <laughs> This content i like it and uh i'm sorry I've i been i've
0: had such a busy week i've been talking
1: to clive lewis that is a, that is amazing <laughs> Whoa, right I mean, cool. yeah. that is yeah yeah. That, I'm, I'm looking for so that's that's coming up on monday right
0: yeah that's i'm gonna what do i'm gonna monday. do another yeah um, yeah yeah i mean I've, I've interviewed a few big names i really like talking to just ordinary everyday people because it's like you know these are the issues that are affecting all of us kind of thing but it's quite fun yeah. every now and then to like you know push push it a little bit but yeah, sorry nah. we should go back to so no, no, no. liberal hope
1: <laughs> well i think i i has
0: got a lot of that liberal hope you know yeah he, i i felt
1: that yeah yeah
0: on. so clive's clive's uh identifies sort of as a socialist but also you know sometimes he does but also he's very keen other times like not to put labels on things uh this is just my perception he hasn't said this to me but um mm. you know his route to power like to you know get these solutions get this you know find socialism is i suppose he's looking at like the biden kind of approach which i i think he you know i think a few people have been fairly surprised by how how it's going and stuff like that actually um yeah but but he is really he talks a lot about like finding you know building party uh, cross party uh, alliances and stuff like that and working with people across the house and i think I, I think that's something that um, a lot of like you know committed leftists find really difficult to do because it does mean you know sitting in a room with people that with that have a very different appro- approach to you and a different end game to you. So I don't really know how that yeah. ideologically like aligns, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he definitely, to me, seems like a, a, a person who would push liberal hope, to be honest, uh, and I don't yeah. like him for that. I like him for other stuff. I think he's a lovely, charming, nice, decent person, but I think he's been, in all honesty, kind of weak, like when it comes to, I don't know, I, he tries to say it as he sees it, and I know that there are limitations as to, you know, your seat in the house or whatever, but like, I think he could do more. I think the whole of the left in the Labour Party could do a lot more. Like, I've completely given up on the Labour Party. I'm not going to vote for them. I don't want anything to do with them. But if I'm looking at it objectively, I would say the socialist campaign group are, have a really weak position in the party. And I actually think part of that is on them because they've yeah. rolled over to some extent. I and mean, I appreciate how difficult it's been with Kit Starmer's leadership, personally, how I feel. But like, um, but yeah, it it just seems weak. The whole influence, I don't think there's any left influence in the party really.
1: No. Which which I, I think, think
0: will be a problem for Keir Starmer when it comes to polling as well. But like oh, it's, yes, it's already a, a lose lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean it's you know, I I've always said that the you know, the thing that in the end, well, the, the, the thing that made me realize that it wasn't worth supporting Starmer wasn't just that I, you know, became aware that he didn't really have much interest in achieving transformational change although that was frustrating it was also just i realized he was just really bad at political strategy like he's not supposed to be the thing he's good at and it's just like he you know he's really not he's traded in a load of voters who are really like enthusiastic Mm. about the labor party they'll not only vote for it we can't campaign for it a lot of those voters have gone and and, and he's basically chasing some of that that really rock solid 40 percent that we spoke about earlier Mm. where to, to outbid them in terms of like to, to win them over from the Conservative Party, what are you going to do? You're gonna are you gonna kind of like you know sentence people for twenty years for for vandalizing vandalizing a statue. You know what's the kind of like it, it, there's no mm. logic to it. People are, people are you know if those that voting group are pretty sort of attached at the moment to the to the Conservative Party. So I just feel like you know. But then again, Stalmer for me embodies that idea of liberal hope. He's like. He's that mm. classic example of he's he's pretty vacuous you can project what you like onto him crucially yeah. he's a man of a certain age he's been a lawyer you know he he personifies that kind of whole like adults in the room dynamic that liberals <laughs> just love right and yeah. it's sort of like
0: yeah, it, yeah i talk about this yeah i talk about this a lot it doesn't matter what you say it's about how you're saying it and what we've what we've been conditioned to like respect in this country is and everywhere else really is like the final word of the the you know the calm rational forensic white man like mm. you know this is this is what we we privilege those things you know don't be emotional don't you know i think emotion should be in politics politics is emotional it's it's really emotional like uh, it's really instinctual as well i think um that might be kind of a naive thing to say but yeah i mean i, I think like again you know he, is, he he is terrible at strategy and obviously he's being advised by people it's not just him but you could say he's terrible at strategy or you could say, is this a kind of like, and it's going to sound like conspiracy theory, but like, is this a kind of plan? Is he just being like, is he, is he placeholding for a bit? For I mean, I, I don't think he wants to get into power. I don't actually think he wants yeah. to, because I, I think like my, um you know, I think my 13 year old could come up with you know, a better strategy than what you've got at the moment. It's just so basic. Exactly. So like you know when I said, you know, it doesn't matter what we say, it matters how you say it, like he he's he's appealing to he so he's appealing to what he thinks is like the Red Wall, you know, peoples. So he's always got a pint in his hand, you know. He's like yeah, he's always yeah, like yeah.
1: Oh. On, on the boardline <laughs> alcoholic at
0: the moment. Yeah. Uh, still... yeah, but he only takes one sip. So yeah. uh, and then it's just a photo op. And then you know he and I think it's very patronizing. Like Way, working class, lads, 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 like Jesus Christ, do you think that's all people care about? like a lot of people in the red wall like have really important concerns like employment, poverty, and you know their children's education and stuff like that. Not everyone is just a bloody Neanderthal, and I think that he's gone from this like people's vote character to yeah. like this like you know it's so it's so transparent that's the really yeah, exactly thing about it, yeah.
1: Totally, yeah. I think I think once you realize, notice
0: well, I'm not his biggest fan.
1: <laughs> well, no, and and nor am I. But I think and and I wouldn't. I'm not in that. I, I've seen that idea on the left that this is you know he's a placeholder or whatever. I I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that is because I've been on that in that sphere of politics, the sphere that cares in okay. Mr. starmer whatever. And so for me, I know it so well. When you live in the sort of like in centrist politics, you you believe in the verities really strongly, right? So like that whole thing, like 1980s to 90s, that's like your origin story. Like so for you, it's like, okay, we beat the hard left. We saw them off with our, you know, whatever. And then we, and then we found this kind of telegenic leader and he, he led us to the promised land and, you know, and what, you, you know, so essentially you just take this like one like contingent set of historical things that happened and you turn them into this sort of like, this is how the whole of politics works forever, basically and it's it's you know once and once you realize that that's all it is you're like oh mm. it's actually a bit rubbish yeah that's <laughs> kind of
0: so interesting to hear it from that point of view like it, it really is actually because like i've never been there like i, I don't know why really because like i mean I, I i sort of come from working class family like classic like we're gonna vote labor because they're gonna i don't know no policy yeah, they're on the right manifesto, just yeah, yeah basically yeah, yeah. just um yeah like not not really looking into it too much but just like of course we're we're working class vote labor kind of thing so yeah. i haven't been brought up in any kind of like political intellectual sphere whatsoever but for some reason like i've just always for some reason i've just always been like on the left so i look at centrism and i i just feel so like weirded out by it and like and also so skeptical about it because i always but like you say you know you you were there in good faith and actually yeah. believed in it as a as a strategy for the country being
1: better and all of that like. yeah the, yeah you kind of i mean God, i feel like this is like some kind of weird confessional now that i'm having to be. you know it, uh, you feel <laughs> like you you sort of think you you believe all the stuff you said like you like you know you can only you could just have to trim little bits and you mm. can't be too over ambitious you know it's just silly like no one's gonna you know you just ha- you know and, the, and i think the real limitation of it is that you don't really have any sense of like historical change so the idea that what's possible in one era can suddenly radically change in a different era. And so for me, that was yeah. the big shift was the recognition that we're now in an era where the possibilities of politics have radically shifted. So it was kind mm-hmm. of like there's I I in a way my centrism just made made no sense because it was like actually Joe Biden's a centrist, right? I mean, he still is, he's still a centrist. He's just, he's just basically recognized the direction of travel in politics because he's he's basically got better political now than Keir Starmer. As far mm. as I can tell I don't I don't think he's any different to the guy who backed Bill Clinton and you know was vice president for Barack Obama in a relatively disappointing mm. presidency do you know what I mean but it's just I like think,
0: yeah I think Keir Starmer's like problem and, and this might again just be a kind of gris- disgruntled kind of leftist comment but I, I genuinely think he's he, he, I don't think he listens I don't think he's a very good listener yeah. I think he, he's so image conscious and he's so like he's quite like arrogant i think and fairly stubborn and i think you know i I don't know how they're gonna sell their policies to the electorate so i can understand selling uh you know jingoism i I can understand that as a strategy i don't think it's gonna work i can understand why they do that but when it comes to policies like after we've gone through you know i know three four years of a pandemic or however long it's going to last and a general election comes around, or if it even does, you know, who knows, like, they might put another bill through. I I just think like they're going to need, desperately need those radical policies and solutions of the Corbyn project. But I think they've distanced themselves so far from the Corbyn project because they're like, that was bad. That's not us. We're under new management now. So I think what they're probably going to do is repackage some of it and sell it as like a brand new idea. And everyone's going to be like, oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Like the the Tories have done, you know, with a lot of it. But um, yeah, Yeah. no idea.
1: I I can't (laughs) see it at the moment. Let, let's, um, let's, let's shift our focus a little bit, Gem. Let, okay. Let's, um, let's delve into some of what's been going on in um, on Twitter this week, particularly on the left. Um, mm. Because I think this is also relevant to what we're talking about today. Because, yeah. um, you know, we, we're talking about these issues about like, who gets to speak, um, you know, the kind of the burden of people, perhaps you, you have power or perhaps are higher up in that in that kind of hierarchy that you referred to earlier to, to listen and to reflect on, on what's going on. And you know, we're seeing this kind of, you know, slightly worrying image at the moment of basically people who are advertising themselves as anti racist as spokesmen for spokespeople against racism, and actually, you know, engaging in some pretty dubious stuff online. Um, And I know Judy Gaddis spoke about it on your show earlier in the week as well. You know, how, first of all, just I guess for some of our viewers, it's like, what's going on? Ah.
0: <laughs> ah, someone, someone's it, trying to call it, in. So,
1: be it. like James. Like, no, I, I actually can't. It's like one of those. Uh, well, hopefully, I'll just we'll you, go you off. Get it? I, I actually can't get it because it's one of those um fixed line phones.
0: Oh, mad! don't like, I mean? have those anymore. I haven't had. A yeah, well, in yeah, years.
1: I know. That's, that's I know. quite old. School. We, we, we're in the dark ages over here in Sussex. I'm afraid. I think we're good.
0: <laughs> um, um, so, go ahead before I kind of get into this, like you just said, you know, there's, (laughs) we've been talking about whose voices are privileged and whose aren't kind of thing. And I think it's like really important to say first of all, that we're two white people talking about Mm -hmm. racism and anti-racism. So straight away, we're not like experts in this. And I think that's really important to say also like, so this is referring to like recent events on Twitter surrounding some popular sort of influencer type big voices of the left. And they've been defending the use of anti-black racist uh, tropes and stereotypes and then doubling down when called out so I think it's important to know also that like you know uh, all all the people that we follow and interact with uh, on Twitter they are a lot of them are most of them are like of the left but I think um, they are by no means like the left like I think a lot of serious uh, you know socialists and comrades probably organise well away from Twitter so but i do think it's an interesting microcosm of of the left in general so yeah uh, i'm not going to say this is the left this is happening in the left because it's happening in left twitter and that's relatively small in the grand scheme of things um but maybe uh, twitter gives like a fairly good cross section of society anyway and of the left so now i've got that out of the way um like i can only really comment on this as i see it playing out like i know that others will have like different views on this and from what i've seen like I just feel really super disappointed because like for me it's been the out and out hypocrisy of uh you know we on the left are like proud to hold ourselves to higher standards that's our thing right you know we we like where we have the moral high ground and and that's not a static thing we don't just to get to have the moral high ground because we're on the left like we need to but more so than our right wing and liberal counterparts we need to work at it so like I mean, I think that means that we should be comfortable calling one another out when we get something wrong and growing from that. Like I, the group chat that I meant to send my comment to earlier, but I accidentally sent to you, we are very good at calling one another out. We do it on a regular basis. And I think that's really healthy. And, um, but what happens is that, um, you know, as human beings, we have like a lot of ego and a need to keep that kind of, I'm a very good person intact. So it kind of, um, we're practicing anti-racism like we have to call attention first and foremost to our own unconscious biases and that is a difficult process and it's painful and that's kind of where white fragility comes into play because it's like ouch i don't want to think this about myself like but you know clive was saying on the show we're all uh, capable of racism in this country you know and there's a that there's a really really difficult thing to hear which is all white people are racist and what that actually means and which i completely accept is we're brought up in a in a white supremacist society some people would disagree but i think that we are and um And that means and as clive said you know even he is capable of being racist and and he and he did mean you know anti-black racist because reverse racism isn't a thing um although that is something that's being bandied about a lot at the moment as well um
1: and that's because racism is about power right i think that's just worth clarifying do you know what i mean
0: absolutely the
1: the reason that's true is because you know there's there's an actual hierarchy that's observable and sort of like subject to like sociological analysis or whatever You know you can't just sort of you you know I guess prejudice takes many forms but when you're talking about racism you're talking about something that's intrinsic to how our society basically functions.
0: Absolutely like some people see I mean this is kind of started in the us as a concept really but it's kind of a, a school of thought over here as well some people see like affirmative action to like address racial equality inequality uh as being anti-white so uh like to take this further there's a school of thought that like um social and economic gains by black people will disadvantage white people um and this is like white anxiety i guess you could call it like it's in the same kind of vein of that um infamous LBC caller that was peddling the great replacement theory to Keir Starmer and you know so we live in a society when we're talking about free speech someone is allowed to come on broadcast live on air and say I think um you know white people are going to be replaced by you know uh non-white people and I think that's a very bad thing and you know and get past the producer and... right that, yeah, like, that exactly. person that
1: person expressed that their happen. ideas to a producer. yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah so like way 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 I am mean,
0: i'm not for one moment saying that this is the context of the like reverse race racism like accusations by like so-called comrades on twitter but i do think it sort of dangerously leans into some pretty nasty discourse so this is the type of uh, thing that we expect to see from like edl types not people on the left um like none of this is about one person but um you know like we call ourselves a movement and and we identify under a like a relatively broad blanket of socialism and it's it's actually a lot broader than I naively uh, gave it credit for actually. Um, so Louise Raw, Dr. Louise Raw, has become centred in this, which is, you know, ironic. A white woman has become centred in this debate, uh, which shouldn't be a debate because we're debating people's existence here, which is kind of nasty. But um, you know, she's become the focus, and I, I was like a long admirer of her work. I think she's a really like good academic, and I think she raises awareness in a really important way uh, on social issues, and she's done some great activism but you know what people to fail fail to acknowledge is that like that um you know and this includes like to a massive extent louise herself fails to acknowledge this that like while it's possible to have all of these things and all of these credentials it's also possible to exhibit some problematic behaviors ourselves and it's you know it takes a lot of work and a lot of practice a lot of heartache to kind of get to a point where we can um you know feel comfortable well actually maybe we just should not feel comfortable well, that's the whole point I was right? say like maybe. is it that
1: we just never get to that point in a way but you're always kind of working yeah. towards it and that's kind of in itself quite unsettling <laughs> isn't it I think the idea yeah. is kind of nice is to just think I've made it like I'm like you know I'm someone I, I I teach you know I teach a course at my school that's about you know um like the history of you know um, you know the interaction of like European and African um, civilizations kind of like, so, you know, trying to center like black history more. Um, Although, you know, that's fairly limited in lots of ways, but you know, it's sort of like trying to at least start some of those discussions. But yeah, the the truth is you're always coming at it for a European lens. You're kind of like every single day you're having to sort of like address that reality and like the way you've been educated. Goodness knows in, in Wiltshire, I mean, you know, like,
0: yeah,
1: it's, it's, you know, you're, 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 there's your yeah so you're kind of looking you're still looking through the same pair of eyes basically
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a process of unlearning what you've kind of learned basically and that process never really ends um like i make mistakes all the time and it and i understand that it it kind of hurts to think of yourself in a non-favorable light i get it but like what we see now is like Louise, for example, like treating her timeline as some kind of CV where she's like reminding us of her anti-racism credentials, where while at the same time she's like failing to just robustly address her recent problematic behavior, which would be so easy to do actually. Uh, and at the same time, she kind of, she does this classic thing where she tweets about having a bad day, nothing ever goes right for her. She's got health problems. So we see like textbook white victimhood being centered as a wall that kind of goes up against herself. Growth. Right. Uh, I don't know why I'm acting like I'm sort of an expert on this. I'm not. This is just how I see it, right? So The problem for me is that she has a huge platform and she's got a lot of support while she does this. So I actually think these kind of like unconditional support communities have their place and could be wonderful sources of solidarity. But at the same time, there's like a darker, like more unhealthy side to them in that they can reinforce toxic behaviors by like providing people with with loud and like absolute backing. And I don't think that's healthy. Like, um, you know, solidarity is one thing, but like, you know, it it shouldn't be unconditional. Uh, And like black people's experiences are being further invalidated by you know so so many things like um you know this is nothing new to my black comrades like they deal with racism on and off social media all the time what is perhaps newer is seeing comrades that they previously felt relatively safe around uh throwing them under the bus uh even though many would probably say that this is something that they've become hardened to so um let I've forgotten again what I was going to say <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I've just been so, so surprised. I think there's a slight, slight shift happening now where people are realizing, but basically, black women's voices have just been totally drowned out in all of this. White women's uh, fragility and tears, and they've been weaponizing their tears. You know, we can talk about tears as like a metaphorical thing. Even, you know, and again, this isn't uh, ironically, I keep talking about Louise Raw because it isn't just about her, but she's very emblematic of the. Of the white woman who fails to like fails with with accountability. So she, you know, she even her silence. Like I'm going off Twitter. Like I'm going off Twitter for a bit. Even her silence at like critical moments and stuff, and I know not everyone you know lives their life on Twitter, but she does. To be fair, most a lot of us do. Um, even her silence was a kind of um, going to rhyme now. It's horribly poetic, but it's kind of a, a kind of violent act. You know, it uh, you know silence is violence. I think it probably says yeah. it somewhere on on here. Like you know, silence is complicit. Silence is violence. Um, so yeah it's just been like a really bloody interesting time and uh i I mean i've lost like followers because i've been really unequivocal in my support for my black comrades who are having a hellish time right now like desi my friend said this is not pleasant this is not this is not fun for us this isn't a game to us this isn't something that we can dip in and out of paraphrasing her she didn't say that exactly but she said this is actually really hurtful It's actually really hard, you know, It actually sucks. It sucks to do this right now, but we have to keep calling it out. And then what we've seen is people trying to moderate black women's language. So, you know, uh, some of my black comrades have been pretty forthright with their language. If I was experiencing, you know, oppression because of the color of my skin, I think I probably would be as well. So, but we've had people like saying, um, you know, why do you have to be so aggressive? I have even seen one of my comrades, which I've since, you know, deleted, um, unfollowed, uh, whatever, uh, using the word savage. So it's just, it just makes me realize. These tropes kind of creep
1: into the, these, yeah yeah, these tropes kind of just creep into the discourse. And I think it's that, that, that thing, as you say, of like, you're trying to understand this daily reality. So racialized people just live in this. This is a daily reality that they're kind of, that they're being viewed through this kind of particular prism that for us as people who've consumed that, I guess, that those those tropes those kind of things which don't obviously directly affect us we're just kind of like they're just shaping like how we're how we're looking at things you know yeah we don't we don't necessarily we can just kind of you know yeah. allow those those lenses to sort of like act on act on us and we don't have to sort of almost worry about it too much I feel like that's the thing I really took away from yeah. your interview is just the sense of like you know if i kind of choose it was like you know britain i think what was it like in that the recent report on race it was sort of like britain gave itself like a gold star you know like we're mm. world leaders but i think you can yeah. do that on an individual level right it's interesting that obviously people would criticize that but then on an individual level it's quite easy to sort of then say well you know yeah i mean i i, I definitely am a kind of like i'm an ally or i'm a you know i'm yeah. someone who's who's clearly anti-racist and i just like this idea of thinking about anti-racism or thinking about allyship as this kind of ongoing process. I think that's just much yeah. more useful well, actually, no one, no one and one is an anti.
0: Yeah, totally. Like no one's an anti-racist. All of these people at the moment, these, you know, Louise Raw, Sarah, Red Sarah, um, you know, the, the resisting hate group, which is just a, a crock of shit, to be honest. They're awful people, in my opinion, just terrible, terrible people. Um, they all are avowed anti-racist and they wear that like a badge of honor which you know it sounds like a nice thing to be but being an anti-racist isn't a thing you're not an anti-racist it's like it's an ongoing thing and what i've noticed among the left is you know how much people kind of how protecting whiteness is so pervasive in all sections of society even among socialists like oh god we think we're so flawless but we're really bloody not like you know and also It takes white women to, I mean, a lot of this has gone under the radar. But black women on Twitter have been like shouting about their pain that they're going through for a very long time. It takes white women coming to the forefront and being in pain. And you know, we saw Sarah's videos, and that was really distressing and awful. But um, and and Louise saying, "Oh, no one should have to go through this." I I don't think anyone should, you know, but showing no solidarity to the black women that go through this all the time. Black people have been historically presumed by white people not to feel physical pain in the same way that white people do, and um, yeah. you know it'd be nice to think that we've moved beyond that disgusting narrative, but actually black people are still often treated like appallingly by health services and stuff. Um, but this also transfers to mental anguish. So we pri- we prioritize white anguish over black anguish. And also we, d- we don't like listening to it. I think we're neutral towards it at best, or we find it kind of, um, I don't know, like a lot of people have been like, oh, can't you just, you know, let this go for the greater good? And it's like, this is the yeah. work we need to be doing so, now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going it's on that thing,
1: no No, no, I, because I, it's also that thing of individualizing. You individualize white experiences and you, you collectivize or you generalize like black black people, black, you know, blackness is like this. Whereas, you know, the individual white person is, is kind of has this privilege of being treated as an individual and, and that experience is kind of lifted up. And I think, you know, as you say, it's 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 um, that's some that's just so fundamental. Like I think those, you know, those narratives of slavery that you've touched on, like that that whole self-serving narrative of, like like you say, black people are just kind of like naturally suited to this work because they feel less pain, and also they're sort of like, you know, they're they're really strong, and so they, you know, these things, you know, even we think, you know, we we that kind of that trope of the strong black woman is one that actually, while it has a sort of, you know, I guess there's a kind of utility to it to an extent, I guess, but it's mm. also kind of, it really comes through that whole framework of like, you know, the, the narratives of the, that essentially justified slavery and colonialism and so on. So I think, it, you and know, it's the, what's, the so really... yeah, what's so
0: surprising. Yeah, what's so surprising is that people are failing to see that, even when it's glaringly obvious and it's pointed out to them quite generously by the people who are experiencing this oppression right now themselves. Like it's not up to them to educate white people. It's not up to black people. It's up to us to educate ourselves. And like you know, I've left several group chats recently. I was in a Zoom meeting earlier in the week with a man uh, who said that he was feeling drained by all this, a white man, and I was like you know there was absolutely no uh irony to it at all like no no self uh awareness whatsoever like you're feeling drained okay but you can Turn off twitter step away from this like these these women can't like step out of their skin in a white supremacist society so like should we just do a little bit of work here or and another thing you know i think it's the same person actually said you know this is almost over it'll be over soon and it's like as, as if it's an inconvenience to us and they're also kind of peddling now like toxic positivity like we all need to remain positive you know which i think is is gaslighting and it also speaks to that liberal hope argument you know like no don't don't tell i'm sure you know Oh, moving on positively will come as a great comfort to these women who are being you know attacked <laughs> Like it's just yeah. really disappointing yeah. I, I, yeah as you can see i feel really strongly about it at the moment
1: yeah but i think it you know it's, it's about like working out what the bedrock is of what it is you're trying to do and you, you're trying to say so you know as i say i'm going to be going along on saturday to the kill the bill protest and i'm going to be you know raising my voice there etc but you know then then you're always having to go back and check basically what you're foundations are, I guess, in terms of what, how you're coming at politics. And for me, as someone who's still, you know, very much like, you know, getting to grips with left politics, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not someone who can advertise themselves as some kind of like pioneer on anti-racism or, or anything like that. I'm learning all the time. It's really striking to me. None when of I go us to and, these, yeah. yeah, right. And I think, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of, you know, genuinely attending these protests is really educational. You know, It's very often actually young black women who are getting up and speaking and. Telling their kind of story, and you're yeah. there just kind of blown away by it. You just think,
0: wow.
1: yeah. you know, that's really. Black women
0: have led revolutions and made grassroots, uh, you know, inspired like grassroots movements for in in all of history. Like they often get written out of it, you know. Like, oh my God, what's her name? Lucy Parsons, the the godmother of, um, no, what was her name? Oh God! What do they call her—the godmother of anarchy—I think they called her. She was nice. amazing. She was a, the daughter of an enslaved woman. Um, Are we going to get kicked out, by the way? Because it's like I'm, we, we're going to we're going to wrap up in a
1: minute. But I want to okay, hear this cool. story. And then anyway, we can, so, so Lucy, this is a good
0: note to was, she, yeah, she was the daughter of an enslaved woman. Her dad was likely her, um, you know, a slaver, uh, and she she was wonderful. Like she managed to motivate and uh, inspire like hundreds and hundreds of of white um, working-class men to not accept the conditions that they were working in she used to literally stand on a soapbox and talk at them like have polemics with them and stuff and uh, after she was considered so dangerous by the state that her house was burnt down after her death because she knew too much you know so black women are amazing like they have to be like they're so like you know so so many black women and like my inspiration in life because when you when you have a lot to overcome and then you achieve massive things that's bloody impressive like that that's that's awesome you know so yeah black women's voices need to be listened to on twitter like stop shouting over them you know white men white women just stop doing it just shut up and listen that's my message
1: (laughs) I think it's a really good. Includes note
0: me. To,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, as 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 a also quite loud person, I think it's uh, you know, I think that's a good, it's a good note for to, to for me to hear and a good note to finish on, um, for today's show. I guess just um just remains for me to thank Jem for giving up her time this evening to talk to us, and I guess um just to remind you all that you can listen to Jem, um, interviewing Clive Lewis this yep. Monday at nine thirty. Um, that's right. On on Incapable Staircase. So check it out, because I think that will be amazing. And also do catch up with Jem's um, previous shows going back. I think you've got a bit of an archive, have you, on the site that they can get, people can go back and oh, listen yeah, to? Yeah, or... I'm
0: still trying to work out how websites work and how to build them and yeah. doing the back end of them and stuff like that. But you'll find everything on my website at some at some point. It's projectcoo.com. Thank you. Thank you for-
1: Cool, um, thank you so it, much. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, and, and we are under another name. Please um, like and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks so much for listening.